Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me on the show again today. Now today I wanted to share what I call a give and get listener tips. And the give is me giving a few tips in response to a particular listener question that came through on the voicemail feature on the website. And the get is to share some tips that sent in from another listener recently as well which I think are very worthwhile listening to. And so on with the show and property chatter then. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with property chatter. So first of all, the get. And this was prompted by a voicemail, as I mentioned, that I received a couple of weeks ago now from Pete in uh, in Warrington. Now, firstly, Pete, sorry it's taken a couple of weeks to get back to you, but uh, I hope that more or less dedicating today's show to responding to your questions may go some way at least to offsetting that slight delay in coming back to you. So let's have a listen to what Pete's dilemma is, and then we can pick up what is actually a, you know, quite a common problem for many property investors, I have to say. So over to you, Pete. Hi, my name's Pete. I live in Warrington and I'm 31 years old and I'm looking to buy my first property to refurb and sell on as quickly as possible. I'm just struggling with a couple of things though. Um, I've got my eye on a property, but I want to get someone in to value it as it is now and what the estimated value is going to be once I've done the work on it. I also need to get estimates and prices for the work that actually needs doing. So how do I do this before I even put in an offer? I mean, it's hard enough to, to get a decorator around uh, and a plasterer to my own house to do the work. You know, I had to make several phone calls. I expect people to turn up. They don't turn up and things like that. Um, so that's a little bit of an issue. So how do I get all this done and get it all priced up before I put an offer in um, without making several viewings and, and potentially wasting the estate agent's time? Um, if you could let me know, I'd greatly appreciate it. Thank you very much. So thanks for that question, Pete. Pricing up properties that we intend to add, uh, add value to via a refurbishment or refurb, as we sometimes call it, whether we plan to sell it on or refinance it, is a very common issue that we all face, especially when we start out as property investors. Now let's start by breaking down Pete's questions into, into their constituent parts. First of all, we have a question around the before and after works valuation. And second, we have specifying and then pricing up the works required. So there's two distinct uh, parts to the question, if you like. And you may have noted that these two questions are somewhat interlinked. And so we have to adopt uh, a general principle or some general principles to scan the properties initially is, is what I would say, at least. Now, I have a general principle in this respect, i.e. Um, evaluating refer projects, which I guess we can all take uh, take some, some insights from. And I call this one of my golden rules. And this particular one is called the 40% rule. Now the 40% rule goes something like this. The purchase price of the property plus 40% must be less than or equal to the end valuation. 
And, uh, and this method I also call the cost plus method. So cost is a purchase price, the plus is the 40%. And of course, um, you know, the total of those needs to come in at below or equal to the end valuation for the project to be viable. So the, there has to be enough margin, obviously, in, in on top of the purchase price for us to make the deal profitable. And uh, before we discuss the merits otherwise of this, let's just look at an example to, to illustrate. Now, if we can buy the property for £100,000, then for it to be profitable, generally speaking, as a refurb project, it has to have a post-works valuation of at least £140,000. So 40% of £100,000 is £40,000. Uh, 40 plus the 100 takes it up to 140,000 pounds. Now, this 40,000 pounds will generally speaking be eaten up by buying and selling or refinancing costs, the financing costs of holding the property, refurbishment works, back to Pete's question, uh, a contingency, and indeed profit. So, in reality, I may expect this type of light refurbishment project, as I've been illustrating, to have a, a works cost of something like 10 to 15k. So out of that 40, 10 to 15 really needs to be allocated towards the works themselves. And obviously you can see how much is taken up by the buying and the selling and the, the refinancing and the, the holding costs, etc. And don't forget, time, our own time, has a value too. So if we're doing the works ourselves, we've got a, an equivalent cost of labour that we should factor into the, uh, into the project, even if we're not using somebody else to do it. Now, I've got another way of looking at this, and it's actually starting at the end and working back instead. So here we start by the end valuation, and after taking the end valuation, so what, uh, what it is we hope to get for the property, we need to deduct our minimum profit figure, the cost of works, the financing costs, the buying and selling and holding costs, and all of these taken off need to ensure that the resulting figure exceeds the purchase price that we would pay for the project. And I call this the required profit method. In the sample above, the example above, we had an end valuation of £140,000. And let's say my minimum profit figure or minimum profit target is 10k. If I estimate the costs involved before undertaking any works as around about 10k as well, that would mean my maximum works budget or cost of works for the refurbishment would have to be around about 20k if I can secure that property for 100k. Now in reality, 10k for both the holding costs and the profit is a little on the light side and so it's more likely to be around about 25k in total meaning I would have a maximum refer, refer budget of around 15k. It's funny how it comes around that sort of figure, isn't it? Uh, so in other words, we have two ways of estimating the values required in the project, the cost plus and the required profit methods, if you like. So next we need to establish the values. Now here we have two basic methods. We have the professionals approach or the DIY approach. Now the professional approach is actually quite straightforward, really. We pay a surveyor to undertake, sorry, to undertake a pre- and post-works valuation on our behalf. Now, of course, this comes with some drawbacks. Firstly, cost. We'll have to pay a surveyor several hundreds pounds to undertake the valuation. And doing this for every deal we view is not going to be feasible. And even if it was, it would take too long because you'd need to book in the surveyor, wait for his report and that sort of thing. And by the time all that's happened, uh, you know, most likely the deal would have gone. A good deal would have gone anyway. 
And the other drawback is that we need to have an idea of the works involved in order to ask the surveyor to correctly estimate the end value for us. So it's this chicken and egg that Pete's really been alluded to, I think. Now, the other approach is the DIY approach, do-it-yourself approach. And it's going to be a more practical method, obviously, if one that involves more risk and effort on our part, of course. Now, this approach at the simplest level means looking for direct comparable sale values for our target property. Now, ideally, a direct uh, comparable sale value should be, or sort of rather should have some of the following characteristics for it to be reliable. Uh, there needs to be some um, sale values recorded within the past six months. That's the first characteristic. The recent sales should be of the same property type. So, for example, if we're looking to buy a three-bedroom house or a two-bedroom flat, that's the comparables we need to be looking for, directly comparable. And ideally, it needs to be in the same street. And if it's not in the same street, ideally, again, within a quarter of a mile of the target property we are looking at. You know, and it does make a difference. Obviously, we see two beds and three beds, but it can vary a, a, a three bedroom uh, former council property compared to a, uh, a three bedroom bungalow. They're not directly comparable. So the, the property does need to be comparable. Now, we can find this information on comparables on, on the standard portals such as Zoopla and Rightmove and sometimes through auction listings and sales uh, results as well. Now, in addition, we also need to assess the condition of the property that was sold to establish if it was in pristine condition or, let's say, in need of improvement. And then we need to make some sort of adjustment for that, you know, to get a realistic comparable, that is. Now, these figures are going to give us a guideline to work from in terms of establishing a fair end valuation based on recent comparable sales. And sometimes in the absence of suitable sale comparisons, we need to enter into greater risky areas or greater uncertainty, if you like. Uh, and, and, and we can look at some of the following variations instead. Uh, so, for example, we can look at slightly longer completed sale times, uh, certainly not longer than 12 months, really. Um, you know, we can certainly look at look at indicators beyond 12 months, but we can't rely on anything because the market changes current properties on the market and their listing values could be useful but you know they're not sold prices so they're just what people think they're you know they're asking prices is just what people think they're worth so in reality we need to discount the uh, the list the current listing prices by something in the region of five to ten percent to allow for you know for offers to be made and, and that kind of thing similarly we could look at auction listings but they give guide prices rather than you know, final sale values. So they're not as reliable, I guess, is the point I'm making. And, and I guess the final category could be any sold subject to contract, sorry, sold subject to contract property values uh, as well. Now, the first two alternatives that I've listed, the, uh, you know, comparables and the on-market listings are going to be available again from the portal, so quite easy to get hold of. However, the last one, the uh, sold subject to, is really only going to be available through estate agents direct, potentially through auctioneers listings as well. But um, obviously, we're going to need to have access to that information one way or another for it to be reliable or useful for us. We should also keep in mind where we are in the property cycle itself. So if we're on an up, upward cycle um, or a, a downward or declining marketplace, then obviously we should be adjusting the end valuations accordingly, potentially adding a little bit if we're on the upswing and maybe deducting a little bit if we're on the downswing. Um, that, is also that is obviously going to play a part in establishing what is a correct end valuation. 
And I've mentioned earlier, in terms of estimating what what is an, a valid purchase price, we can work back from a correct end valuation. So a couple of methods there that uh, that can help us. Now, the other question, obviously, that came out was really about estimating the scope and the cost of works. And uh, that's not an easy thing to do, especially when you don't have the experience or a background in building work. And But here's a couple of ways that I found, uh, you know, of going about it. The first one, probably isn't a surprise, is to employ a professional. Now, this could be a builder or indeed a quantity surveyor. Again, it comes at a cost. And uh, if we look at builders, many of those are going to be booked up for several weeks or even months ahead. So taking them out for a viewing for a half day uh, may not be the best use of their time. And it may be very difficult to do, as indeed Pete alluded to in his voicemail. And especially so if we're only really planning on the occasional property investment purchase, perhaps once a year, once every couple of years, it's going to be very difficult to drag a builder out. But we can certainly employ a quantity surveyor which might sound like a bit of a sledgehammer to crack, crack a nut, but you know they are there for that purpose and we can employ them or on a contract basis to do this sort of work for us. Now, whether we do it on a viewings basis is probably not going to be a wise you know, use of time or cost for us. So here's a couple of alternatives. The next one is to get a trusted advisor. Now, I've been using the term trusted advisor for quite a while now. And basically, as it suggests, it's someone we can ask advice from that we would trust their answer. So it could be a friend or a family member. It could be someone that has a background in buildings or surveying, for example. Or it could be someone with other experience under undertaking these types of projects, such as an experienced property investor. Still, it might be an idea to not be dragging them along to several viewings each week, I would say, uh, especially if we don't intend to convert many into a sale. Unless, of course, we're paying them to do that. And I guess finally, as with the valuations point that we discussed earlier, we, in, in terms of estimating the cost of works, we also have a DIY approach here too. So looking at, uh, as we're valuing a property, we can also look at scoping out the list of works and pricing them up ourselves. Now we can do much of this research online. It's quite painstaking, but we can do it. Or indeed, we can look to join specialist organizations such as LNPG, which is a uh, effectively a, uh, a co-sourcing, uh, purchasing um, organization to help property investors get uh, things like kitchens and bathrooms at decent prices. So once we're a member there, we can actually have a view of uh, standard spec kitchens and bathrooms and that kind of thing. So we can join LNPG. But of course, we can Google things like the cost of a rewire, central heating replacement, new kitchen, new bathroom, and so on. But as you may have guessed, there are a couple of major flaws with this approach. First of all, uh, co correctly scoping out the works. We can easily estimate a standard light refurb scope of works that includes most of the major parts, which will be things like a new kitchen, a new bathroom, new flooring, decorating, rewiring, new boiler and central heating, general tidy up of the garden, and that kind of thing. So um, that, that's the standard light refurbishment works that uh, that's going to be there. And we can probably estimate those costs and do a little bit of digging and some research as I've mended to, uh, sorry, alluded to. But is what is what's missed that's really going to catch us out, really? So it's things like, so we've got a standard list there, but what about replacement windows and doors? What if they're not in great condition? We might not know that when we view the property. What if the, the roof needs replacing? How about correct, correcting damp or other hidden property problems? Or on the other hand, it could be a case that some things just don't de need doing right now. For example, if the boiler was replaced in recent years, then we might not need to replace it immediately. 
And uh, another variable, of course, is the quality of finish that's going to have a huge impact on the final pricing. Consider granite worktops versus, you know, standard laminate, for example. And, um, you know, as a general principle, flips or trading property will need to have a slightly better quality of finish than rentals, for example. Not always the case, but it's just a general rule. So there's some of the approaches that we could take to tackle the challenge faced by Pete and indeed by many other property investors looking at adding value to a property through a refurbishment. However, I would say this, property investing is a business or a profession if you like, and so unless we really do have a background or experience in the building trade, then the best alternatives are going to be using people whose time and experience we can actually buy in and pay for. Now these could be surveyors, builders, trusted advisors, or or indeed other property investors, say through joint ventures, if we cannot find anyone that will guide us for free. And we could also mix and match a little bit, as I shall share in a minute. We could also uh, try networking with other investors and picking their brains. But always remember a couple of principles here. First of all, not every investor is an expert and not every project is going to be the same as the one you're looking at undertaking. So a fair you know, pinch of salt is required in this respect. And I think the other thing that I, you know, can't underestimate is this point of that uh, sometimes free advice can end up being the most costly of all. So keep that very much in mind. But I just wanted to wrap this section up by just sharing a little bit of what I now do with my own refer projects. And I've developed this uh, process, if you like, um, over time. And, uh, you know, through pain, I have to say, of a couple of projects that didn't go according to plan, I now have this approach for, for my own projects. So, first of all, I use a DIY approach to estimating a project's viability. And I use my 40% rule, for example, that I mentioned earlier. I do desktop before and after valuations. And uh, I have estimates of typical work spend for typical light refurbishment projects. So that's fairly easy for me to you know, do a rough and ready calculation of whether a deal stacks up or not. Now, if it stacks up, I have a trusted advisor that, that's now on my team. We, uh, I think some people in the industry use the term power team. So I have a trusted advisor now on my team and, uh, and he can sanity check my numbers. He can also visit the property to further scope out and check the, uh, the schedule of works that are required. So he would add uh, his own eye and, uh, and insights into, into the likely works uh, needed and have a fairly good estimate as well of the, of the costs involved. I would then make an offer for the property and enlist my own surveyor if I'm successful uh, in securing the sale to give me a before and after valuation, which is based on the scope and schedule of works that I plan to do. So that's something I would do anyway now. I'd have a, a surveyor who would actually say it's probably worth this much today and uh, if you're planning to do this uh, schedule of works it's probably like to be worth this much in the future. And that's very useful, uh, one for peace of mind, but also potentially to give to uh, a surveyor, a lender surveyor later down the line. But we won't touch on that right now. It's just something worth keeping in mind. Now, I pay the trusted advisor and the surveyor for their time and expertise, but I reduce the requirement of doing so and involving them by doing my own pre-screens and testing the viability before I get them involved. So obviously, I don't drag them along to every viewing. And indeed, I do a lot of number crunching and pass on a few deals before I uh, even get uh, get them involved. So will every project meet my, my golden 40% rule? No, they won't. It's just a useful guideline for me to follow. I know, for example, that if a property is in pretty decent nick, that I won't have a, a large works budget cost. 
But equally, if it needs some structural work, say, that it'll need a lot more spending on it. So I can flex the rule to see if the property stacks up based on, you know, the condition of the property that, uh, you know, that I, I'm aware of when I go and view it or the, the details get passed through to me. But I can use the general principles and the general rules to make offers on properties accordingly. And then use or bring in the more experienced trusted advisor and the these professionals such as the surveyors to support my decision making, if you like, or validate it. And finally, as I alluded to earlier, we are professionals or business people and we need to either acquire the relevant skills and knowledge to undertake these tasks or we need to buy them in instead. And that's the best way to be successful, I would say, is to adopt a business-like and professional approach. So there you go, Pete. I hope that's been of some use to you and also to the other Pete's out there who who no doubt have some similar, well, sorry, have a similar dilemma and some similar questions, you know, and getting hold of these tradespeople to help them. So maybe sharing some of my own approach uh, may, may have helped a few other Pete's out there. Now, I just wanted to draw a line on this part of the discussion for now and instead turn my attention to the give part of today's share. So let's hear from uh, from Helen in the Your Voice segment now. Up next is Your Voice. It's all about you and your property world. So I recently heard from another listener uh, called Helen who wanted to share a couple of her thoughts. Um, she's an experienced investor and uh, I thought they were really good ideas and good tips. So I thought I'd share them here for you now. So here are Helen's top tips. She starts by saying, don't listen to other people. And I'm going to literally quote her directly. So these are her words. It's so easy to get distracted in your plans by everybody else's opinion from your mother-in-law to your best friend. (laughs) They invariably don't invest themselves, but it's amazing how many people seem to have such strong opinions. Couldn't agree with you more, Helen. Stick to what you know. Having set up a reasonable size portfolio, which has worked well for me, I tend to go for similar properties as they've worked well for me in the past. It sounds obvious, but I think a lot of people feel they must diversify and it's not really that not that necessary. So I stick to what works best and what you know. And the final point she comes up with is keep going. This sounds like a, a repetition of the above two, but more to do with determination. So many times I've been told, particularly by lenders, well, you can't do this or that or the other. And I found there's always a way or another route. Also, the amount of paperwork required by the lenders now is exhausting and off-putting, but keeping your eye on the prize will encourage you to, to do this. In, uh, sorry, will encourage you in this somewhat lonely journey. Sorry, Helen, if I spoiled your uh, read out there. You will win in the end if you simply keep on going. So in summary, what Helen is saying is don't listen to other people, stick to what you know and keep going. And these are certainly some excellent tips from an experienced property investor. And I, and I really did want to share those with uh, with you today. So thanks for, for sharing those with us or with me, Helen, to share on with the listeners. But I did want to add just one more to this general list today because I think they're fairly generic. And I have one more generic point that I wanted to add you know, from my own point of view, which is do what is right for you. Now, this often gets overlooked, I have to say. I hear of many people jumping onto the latest craze, bandwagon or hot strategy in town. However, what is right for one may not be for another. So, for example, if you've no cash and need a rapid income replacement, then standard buy-to-let is not going to be ideal for you because it's a long-term, low-income strategy with high capital returns over the longer term. Similarly, if you've got no or little free time available, 
that it's no use considering a strategy that requires lots of hand put, sorry, lots of hands-on time input, like managing HMOs or rent to rent say. So drawing a, back, a link back to today's central theme raised by Pete about refurbs and pricing and this sort of thing, it's also no use doing refurb projects if we don't have the experience to evaluate such projects accurately, or we can't acquire that experience and knowledge some other way to do them. Now there's always a way, there's always a way to do these things like Helen has alluded to, but sometimes we have to sift through a lot of the information out there just to establish the best way for us at this present time. So there you go. Thanks very much uh, to Helen for sharing her top tips with uh, with all of our listeners. Do you have any top tips of your own you wish to share? Or do you have any golden rules similar to my 40% rule, for example, which was prompted by Pete's question? If you do, I'd love to hear from you. So uh, send me an email, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net. Uh, let me know what's on your mind, what your top, top, top tips are or what your golden rules are. It'd be great to hear from you. But that's all we have uh, you know, time for this week. The show notes will all be over at the website, thepropertyvoice.net. Feel free to drop me a line anytime for a chat, pod, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net. But that's all for, for this week, I have to say. And thank you very much for listening. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.